What's up, guys? Uh, welcome to Relatable. I am your host, Ali Stuckey. If you have not already, make sure to subscribe to CRTV using promo code Ali20 uh, so you can watch this podcast in full and also have access to a ton of other content from conservative commentators. If you are watching this, you know that I am in a different layer than my usual set. It's temporary. I'll be back in my normal place next week. Uh, okay, I hope that everyone um, is having a great week. Today, we are going to talk about two subjects, both kind of involving President Trump. Uh, on the first subject, I believe that President Trump is missing the mark, actually. And on the second subject, it seems that the president is hitting the mark. He's doing a great job. Uh, the first subject is social media censorship and possible government involvement in social media. And uh, the second is President Trump's elevated approval rating in the black community. So first, I will be talking to Amelia Irving from uh, Young Voices and USA Today regarding social media censorship. And then I will be talking to radio host Jesse Lee Peterson about the state of the black community and Trump's effect on it. Uh, even though these two subjects have nothing to do with one another, really, we are talking about them both because they are both in the news right now and they show the goods and the bads of Trumpism. Uh, so first, let us talk social media censorship. Uh, as you know, stories about Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, which is owned by Google, uh, censoring conservatives uh, are in the news every few weeks. Uh, a few months ago, uh, Trump supporting social media stars Diamond and Silk went to testify before Congress about being censored by Facebook. Just the other day, Facebook took down my PragerU video on masculinity because it apparently, quote, violated their community guidelines. Uh, PragerU tweeted about it. It got thousands of, I think now tens of thousands of retweets. And then after it was retweeted a bunch of times, Facebook apologized on Twitter and said that they put all of the videos that they took down from PragerU back up. There have been uh, complaints about shadow banning of conservatives on social media, including Instagram, Twitter, uh, meaning that posts from conservatives are deprioritized so that fewer people uh, see these posts, even if they follow the person that is posting them. So as a conservative, as you could guess, I really don't like any of this. I do think in most cases that this is a very real problem. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, and I'm sure Google too, are all left-leaning. Jack Dorsey, which, who is the CEO of Twitter, admitted that. Uh, YouTube videos that are in no way controversial, but maybe have one conservative comment are being demonetized. Uh, I'm sure that they are like most leftists who truly think that someone saying that illegal immigration is a crime or that Jesus is the son of God or a biological boy is a boy. It's all hate speech. And so it doesn't surprise me that we are getting censored. We are saying things that are blatantly true and yet today are considered controversial and bigoted. But... But I don't think that it is true censorship in all cases. I think that there are people who think that they are getting shadow banned, but really maybe some of these people just aren't as, uh, aren't posting as interesting things anymore. Um, for example, engagement on my conservative millennial Facebook page has gone way down in the past year, but that's because I don't post hardly any original content on the page anymore. I just share posts from my CRTV Facebook page and engagement on my CRTV Facebook page is great. Uh, some people need to come to terms with the fact that maybe their content is not good or interesting. And that is why people are not following them or sharing their posts. I, I think it's important to probably consider that option. Uh, I think it makes some people feel better to say, well, I don't have a lot of followers on Twitter because Twitter is stifling me. Maybe, 
but maybe not. Uh, I don't think Twitter has time to go to every single account and say, conservative, well, I'm going to shut you down. I just don't. Like I said, in some cases, maybe many cases, absolutely. But in all cases, no way. Um, Now, all of that said, I do agree that even some censorship of someone strictly because of their political view is wrong. Uh, It's dangerous to society and it is unhealthy uh, for a republic like ours. See, these social media companies claim that they are trying to make social media safer for people and they think that that is a noble pursuit. Uh, The problem with that, though, is their definition of safety versus danger. They believe safety, it seems, is everyone agreeing with them. Someone making a comment that doesn't align with the far left to them is dangerous. And so to save everyone from their version of danger, they have to censor conservatives. I mean, if you guys remember my PragerU video, Make Men Masculine Again, nothing I said Nothing I said would have at all been controversial even 10 years ago, that good men are good for society, bad men are bad for society, that we should be raising our boys to be responsible men that take care of their families and communities. Uh, Apparently, that is bigoted and hateful and wrong. I've gotten plenty of comments uh, that have told me as much. So what we're going to see is a growth, an expansion of the left's definitions of hate and danger. And we will see social media companies latching on to these growing definitions because A, they agree with the expansion of definitions themselves, and B, they fear the liberal mob, which has been proven to be an effective force in ruining people's lives. So I concur with the stance that these social media companies have Orwellian power when it comes to purveying information and consequently forming our thoughts on things. But I disagree with people on the left and the right who say that the government should swoop in and do something. I'm just a little bit skeptical about that. Uh, President Trump, presumably after watching the Fox and Friends segment last weekend where they reported on PragerU videos being taken off Facebook, uh, tweeted this in a three-part tweet storm. He said, Social media is totally discriminating against Republican slash conservative voices. Speaking loudly and clearly for the Trump administration, we won't let that happen. They are closing down the opinions of many people on the right while at the same time doing nothing to others. Censorship is a very dangerous thing, he said, and absolutely impossible to police. If you are weeding out fake news, there is nothing so fake as CNN and MSNBC. And yet I do not ask that their sick behavior be removed. I get used to it and watch with a grain of salt or don't watch it all. And then the last tweet, too many voices are being destroyed, some good and some bad. And that cannot be allowed to happen. Who is making the choices? Because I can already tell you that too many mistakes are being made. Let everybody, everybody participate, good and bad, and we will all just have to figure it out, exclamation mark. So, okay, okay, I agree with some parts of this. Mass censorship of one political view is bad. And I agree that it should be on the user or the viewer to be able to distinguish between what is right and wrong, true and false, good and bad. Totally agree with that. What I don't agree with is this one sentence that people seem to be latching on to, and that is his insistence that, quote, we won't let that happen. Well, how? To me, that is a contradiction. In in one breath, he says people should be uh, responsible for figuring it out themselves, which I am totally on board with. And then he says that his administration won't let censorship 
happen. I think that those two ideas are just a little bit contradictory, the censorship and people should just figure it out on their own because that would include companies. Um, I tweeted this simple statement this weekend. Uh, I don't like social media censorship, but I really don't like the idea of the government getting involved in the end that's going to hurt conservative voices more than help. Uh, Well, I got a lot of hate for that tweet, um, but I didn't get hate from the left about this. I got hate from the alt-right, who thought that this was a very stupid take, according to them. Gab, who ironically is trying to be a competitor to current social media platforms, called me a basic B word. Uh, They hate me. They've been really rude to me on Twitter in the past. They're really nothing more than an alt-right front group and clearly don't value diversity of opinion the way they say they do because they vilify people like me and everyone else who doesn't agree with them. Uh, They and others like them would rather have the government intervene apparently so that we can definitely all be crushed, including them. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, There is, though, some nuance to this conversation, and to explore that, I want to talk to an editorial intern at USA Today who wrote a piece back in July arguing for the government to stay out of social media. I thought it was a really good, thoughtful piece, and I am going to bring her on to chat with me. Amelia, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So I read your piece in USA Today arguing against government intervention in uh, social media companies, but for everyone who hasn't read that piece, can you kind of summarize your position? Sure. It's been in the news, it seems like, at least once a month since probably Trump got elected. And we saw this with the Diamond and Silk hearing that Congress did a couple months ago. And most recently, Congress had another hearing with some representatives from Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. And I found the whole thing very alarming. You know, there are Republican Congress people and Democratic Congress people talking about how, you know, Facebook or Twitter has a monopoly or we should regulate them like they're a public utility. And I think that that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. I think people forget that when we give the government that much power over our lives, especially when we give them power over our speech, we're opening the door to some of the worst sorts of tyranny. And I find that really frightening. So a lot of people say that these social media companies, these big tech companies have a monopoly on the industry and via antitrust laws, uh, they need to be broken up. Do you buy into that argument? I don't. So in the 90s, there was an antitrust case against Microsoft. At the time, Internet Explorer was used by uh, anywhere from 80 to 90% of all desktop computers. And the antitrust case actually failed. They didn't take any action against Internet Explorer or Microsoft. But we saw the introduction of Google's Chrome, Google Chrome, and that just completely blew Internet Explorer out of the water. So I think when people say, oh, well, Obviously, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, they all have a monopoly. Google has a monopoly. I think, yeah, sure, they control a lot of market power right now. But we forget that in the tech space especially, these things are never permanent. You can always get knocked off by some random college kid coming up with great ideas in their dorm room or in their parents' garage. And I think that we really need to remember that innovation is something that we should encourage, not discourage, and that we should always count on those things. I am really surprised by the number of conservatives who don't agree with this position of the government not intervening in social media companies. Why Why do you think it is that so many uh, conservatives are leaning in the direction of government intervention? I think we have this tendency to really seize power when we have it. We say, oh, we have the White House, we have the Congress. We should just take this opportunity right now and push through whatever legislation we want and hit back, own the lives, 
forever. But you always forget government power always changes hands eventually. You know, Trump's not going to be president forever. We're not going to have a Republican Congress forever. And we see that people lose sight of the fact that we do change power often. You know, even Democrats were falling short on this when talking about President Obama's sort of expansion of the presidential power. And then Trump can come in and reverse all of his decisions just because he took these actions alone. And now Trump has all this additional power. So I think Democrats and Republicans should really be coming on together on limiting government intervention. And because that will benefit all of us in the long run, where we all have a bigger opportunity to share our ideas, where we all have sort of equal opportunity to interact in the marketplace. So the left and the right have uh, two competing goals when it comes to those who believe in government intervention. The left says uh, that they want people to not be able to say racist things on social media. The right say uh, we want government to intervene so no one is discriminated against. If those two goals are competing, uh, then who's to say who is going to win if the government does intervene? Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's true. And I think especially if we're talking about having some sort of regulatory agency that would one day regulate social media. If conservatives are saying, oh, we don't want these companies to be able to discriminate against different voices, and Democrats are saying we don't want people to be able to share fake news or make these audacious conspiracy theories. Um, But we forget that, especially if you turn this into some sort of bureaucracy, you completely lose control over it. Even elected representatives lose control over these things to where it's so so distant from all the people that we have no control over it anymore. And I think that people should run away from these things, not run towards them. So talk about the real life consequences if the government does decide to intervene in social media. So I think one of the one of the solutions that people have been talking about is regulating social media companies like they're a pub- public utility. So, you know, they can't interfere with anything that's posted which I think if they're going to do any sort of regulation, this is probably the least harmful one. But the biggest problem with it is that it can, it pretty much it sort of builds a moat around these companies so that their competitors can't always get into the marketplace with them if there's so much limitation on what you can do to innovate and be different from your competitors. Then we are just sort of shutting down this market. And that's sort of a really silly thing to do. We don't know what the future of social media will look like. So I think making it a public utility would be completely ignoring the future. And with antitrust, I really fear this revival of so-called hipster antitrust policy where we need to break up all these big corporations, especially in the tech world, just because they're big. A lot of people use them. Well, a lot of people use them because they're good and we like them and they add value to our lives. So I don't think that we should punish companies for that. I think that whole attitude is just going to lead us to disaster where big companies are broken up just because they're big, where we're hurting companies that have done good things. So there seems to just be kind of a lack of optimism when it comes to breaking up these companies, like competition is not going to be enough. We thought that about MySpace, though, when MySpace was the only one in the industry, but then Mark Zuckerberg came along and and introduced Facebook. Um, so I don't really understand the conservatives who who don't think that the free market can come through for us. Yeah, I don't fully understand that either. I mean, part of it is how smart are these alt-right type companies? I'm not trying to like insult them, but I don't know if they're fully thinking through like their actions. If anyone's going to be targeted by the government, it's probably them. Um, I don't know why they would think that that would somehow help them if the government decided to regulate Facebook. 
Uh, normally, when the government begins to regulate an industry that pushes out all the small competitors because they can't afford the lawyers and all the red tape, that's just too difficult for small companies or entrants into any new market. So what do you think the solution is to the censorship that's happening of conservatives? I think that what we've been doing is probably the best option where we band together and we talk to we talk on these platforms, we call out the the companies that are doing wrong things and we say, "Hey, you can't do this. This is so silly. You can't take down these videos just because you don't like them or just because a bunch of liberals are flagging them as hate speech or offensive." And we also need to think long term and ask them to start looking at their community policies and maybe rethinking some of the offensive language stipulations or that sort of thing, because that is so incredibly subjective that I don't really see any way for that to be good in the long run. But yeah. And I think a lot of people are so skeptical that we could do this, but I think if things get bad enough, we should think about having our own platform or someone opening up a platform that's just open to everyone and has like very limited censorship only in cases where it like violates the law. I know that people are skeptical that that could happen, but I think, again, in the tech space, anything can happen. We shouldn't discount that and we shouldn't like close off that opportunity just because it seems unlikely. Yes, I totally agree with you. Uh, well, I really appreciate you talking to me. I learned a lot from our conversation. Uh, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Amelia Irvin, my name. And then the number three. And you are also a contributor to Young Voices. Can you tell everyone uh, what the website is for Young Voices? Yes, it's www.young-voices.com. So everyone go check that out. Uh, Thank you so much, Milia, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. So I hope that that added some clarity to the conversation. Uh, And now I want to shift gears to something totally different, but still involving President Trump. So Trump may be wrong to try to intervene in social media companies' business, at least in my opinion, but he is not wrong, apparently, as the numbers show, in how he is handling the economy. Uh, One stat in particular that's gotten a lot of attention because it contrasts with the constant accusations of him being a racist um, is the black unemployment rate. It's at an 18-year low. Uh, A recent poll said that the black approval rating of Trump is 36%. I think that was Rasmussen, which is probably a little high. It's probably about 15%, but the fact that it's in double digits at all is a big deal. Uh, As you know, black people traditionally vote Democrat, um, and a lot of people are talking about this shift in the black community that's happening. Uh, So I wanted to talk to Jesse Lee Peterson, who is a conservative radio host. He is also black, and he specializes in this topic. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. So I think that you are such an important voice within the black community because the advice that you give is just common sense, but it really seems to not be all that common. Um, Do you think that uh, that's catching on within your community? Do you think that there's a political change happening? Absolutely. Uh, And for a couple of reasons. One is that when we talk, when I talk to black Americans about what's happening, I get them to see that they're being used by the Democratic Party, the liberal media, and some of the uh, right or Republicans, and that the Democrats have been using them for the last 50 to 60 years. And I also talk to them about dropping that anger that starts in their homes, because once they drop that anger, they can really see who their friends are and who the enemies are. So that's having an impact. 
But without a doubt, the great white hope, President Trump, has had a major impact on black Americans, men and women, and especially the men, because they can see where the president is coming from. They see that he is not afraid. They see that when he is attacked, he attacked back. He's putting the country first. More black Americans are working now as a result of President Trump than they did under Barack Obama. Um, Even young Americans are now working. And so they are seeing this firsthand. Unlike before the president got there, the media would not really report what was going on. But because of the president, the blacks can see it for themselves. And the last report I saw, I believe I could be wrong, but I think it was like 30 percent of black Americans are now supporting this president. And we have not seen that in years. So we know that the black unemployment rate is at an 18 year low. But what we hear from the mainstream media is that President Trump is a racist and that any black person that supports President Trump is supporting a racist. Uh, Do you think the black community is kind of waking up and saying, no, I am going to vote not according to identity politics, but according to uh, what benefits me economically? You know, absolutely. The media, the, the media, the people who are saying that this is not true about the president's popularity with black people are the same people who said that the president w- w- would not win, that he would not become the president, right? So we can no longer believe them anyway. But I have no doubt, and I run into them all the time. I hear them, they call into my show, my radio and TV show, and they are supporting this president like 90 going north. Um the uh, they liked this president when he ran The Apprentice, the TV show. They had a lot of respect for him then, and now that they see him again in in operation, uh, they are respecting him now. They really love his courage. Also, the media and others have not been able to prove that there was a, a collusion going on with Russia and the president. Everything they have said about this man has not fanned out for them. And so uh, blacks are starting to see and think for themselves. That's why they don't, the Democrats, the wicked witch of the West, Maxine Waters with the low IQ, the last thing that they want is for blacks to pay attention to this man because they know when black people pay attention, they're going to start waking up. They're going to start thinking for themselves. And it's over for the Democratic Party. It's a nightmare for the Democrats that this is happening. Right. Well, well, now we're hearing about Omarosa as she is going around saying that she has a tape of the president saying the N-word um, and the left is absolutely harping on this. Do you think that line of attack is effective in holding back support of the president from the black community? No. If, they, if there is a tape and every other word the president is using the N-word, if that's true, it's not going to impact the black community in a negative way. No. And the reason is because they respect this president. They know that he's under attack and they don't like nor do they trust Omarosa anyway. They know that this president gave uh, Omarosa her first chance in life. You know, on Apprentice, he, she became popular by being on there. And then he hired her at the White House after firing her from the Apprentice. And so they, are, they trust the president more so than Omarosa. So if there is a tape and they hear him using the N-word, it's not going to matter because they know that Omarosa cannot be trusted. 
who turn on people that help them along the way. You know, Omarosa has been helped by this president. And rather than appreciating that and moving along in life, she has turned on him for fame and glory. She would never be trusted by anyone again. Even the liberal media who uh, are now using her to try to hurt this president, they don't really trust her either. But when So when they're done with her, they're going to kick her to the curb. It's over for Omarosa. So the left is obviously using Omarosa in the same way that you say that the Democrats have used uh, the black community for a long time to gain votes. Are, are black people waking up to that, waking up to the fact that they are being used by the left? Well, in the past, they have been able to use the word racism. And, and because there was no other positive examples out there for black Americans, they believed for a long time that the Democratic Party was for them that the Democratic Party cared about them because they always used that word racism. And blacks of it, were, uh, most of them were very angry at the time, which starts in the home, by the way, but they believed a lie that it was from white people. And they would just go into this trance and go into the voting booth and vote for the Democrats. That is changing because of this president. They're thinking for themselves. And also a lot of them are starting to realize that there's no such thing as racism. No such thing as racism, sexism, homophobism, Islamophobism, no isms. That our battle is a spiritual battle, a warfare between good and evil, right versus wrong. And it has nothing to do with being a male or female, has nothing to do with the color. You're either right or you're wrong. And so the, the blacks are starting to see that as they did when I was, when I was growing up, because I, gr- I grew up on a plantation down in Alabama, I grew up under the Jim Crow laws. You know, I had to work the cotton fields and things like that. And not one time did I hear my parents or grandparents say that was racism. I didn't even hear that word. It's a new word that started after the civil rights movement started. And we were told that there are good folks in all races and bad folks in all races and to treat people the way you would like to be treated. And so that's how we grew up. But they got away from that because they listened to the lies of the so-called civil rights movement and then the Democratic Party. But blacks are starting to rethink that now and they're coming back to what is right. You mentioned that this is a spiritual battle, and I totally agree. And uh, I know both of us are born-again Christians. Unfortunately, a trend that I've seen kind of trickle into uh, the Christian church is this idea of what they're calling racial reconciliation, which I think is just a euphemism for uh, resentment between the races. But I saw a young Christian influencer say the other day that there is no true repentance uh, without reparation. So without white people paying black people back for the the damage that we've caused uh, to their race. What would you tell someone who came to you with that line of thinking? Well, first I would say to any Christian who is sitting in a church and their preacher is, uh, is, uh, uh, is preaching that kind of stuff, they should hurry up and leave that church because that's going to only bring on more hatred and divisiveness between the races, right? What I would say to people if that they came to me like that, look, first of all, white people who are living today had nothing to do with what happened 150 years ago. And secondly, that if black men and women were to get married and have their children under the umbrella of marriage, and then they set a good example for their children, taught them to work and how to treat themselves, respect themselves and others, 
Black Americans would be, would be doing as well as white folks in this country, or even better in some cases, that it has nothing to do with uh, 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 white people apologizing for anything and reconciliation and all that. There's just a bunch of lies coming from the children of the lie. And, and to drop that anger so they can see what's going on. Because white Americans have already apologized over and over and over again. They have a false guilt as though they're responsible for the destruction of black people. And unless black people forgive in the home first, forgive their mothers for turning them away from their fathers and forgive the father for not being there, they're never going to get better no matter what white people do. There's nothing on earth that white Americans can do to make angry black people feel better. The only thing that's going to change that is that they have to go and forgive their parents first then God will forgive them and take that spirit of anger away. Then they can become a free people or a free person and move on in life. That's what's needed. And it's not fair to white Americans to continue blaming them for something that they had nothing to do with. It's nothing, not one iota. And it's just sad that white Americans have been afraid to speak up over these years for fear of being called racist because it had, by not speaking up, it looked like they were guilty. But had they spoken up and said, no, I have nothing to do with your problem. I don't care about your color. I guarantee you things would be better today. We would be already united as one rather than divided in the sense that we are now. And you have to wonder if that's why black support has increased for President Trump, because while he might not be the most uh, polite person out there, he doesn't patronize them like so many <laughs> other uh, Democratic leaders have done. You are 100% correct. When they see the president, they don't see a politician. They don't see, as you said, they don't see someone patronizing them. He's just a man, a human being who says it like it is. He is doing what he can do to put the country first. He's honest with black people. Even when he was running, he said to them, why not give me a chance? What do you have to lose? What has the Democrats done for you? No other politician has ever said that to them in such a straight way. And so you are absolutely right. He's just a regular person treating everybody the same. And that's what they're noticing. So you feel like the black community is, is waking up to that reality? 100%. I see it all the time, even in my own family. And my family members are liberal Democrats all the way, right? I've had... I've had family members tell me I was born a Democrat, I'm a die a Democrat. And now they're starting to take a second look at this man. They love what he stands for. They love that he put the country first. They love that when he's attacked, he's not afraid to attack back. They love that he's not afraid to mention, hey, black people, the Democrats are not helping you. Look at Chicago. Obama didn't do anything about Chicago. Where's where's the mayor of Chicago? He's just straightforward with that, and they're loving it. So even in my family members, they're starting to rethink the Democratic Party and look toward the president. Well, I think a lot of that can be attributed to you and the influence that you have had and other people like you. So if you could please tell everyone who's listening where they can find you on a daily basis. Uh, they can, and thank you so much. We can go to rebuildingtheman.com. Rebuildingtheman.com is my website. We've been rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man for the last 28 years of my nonprofit. My radio show is JLPTalk.com. And we're also on Newsmax TV Monday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific time. They can catch me there. 
But they can go to jlptalk.com and get most of the information there. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, too. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Okay. I learned a lot from that interview. Um, It was really interesting to gain his perspective. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, if that's actually going to be the case, if the black community is truly looking more at Trump's actions uh, than his rhetoric. So I guess only time will tell uh, this year in the midterms, probably. And then, of course, leading up to 2020. Um, I hope that you guys enjoyed these conversations as much as I did. So we did a little bit of bad with Trump, a little bit of good with Trump. You guys know we have to try and see both sides when we can. Um, I'm sure I'll have lots more Trump news for you uh, next week. I'm sure he'll be tweeting up a storm over the weekend. Um, One more thing that I want to do. I know that you guys have a favorite segment on my show as I've gotten many messages and emails about the segment things I don't get. And if you watch my Instagram story this week, you know the thing that I don't get is college dorm rooms nowadays. So For whatever reason on Instagram, when I go to my Explore page, I see all of these pictures of Little Miss Mary Margaret from the University of Alabama who lives in Alpharetta and all of her dorm room pics of her freshman year. I I don't know why. I don't know why Instagram thinks that this is something that I'm interested in, but they do. Um, And what I've noticed is the drastic change in the past eight years. So I went to college in 2010. When I went to college, first of all, my dorm room was disgusting. It was like we had like metal rod uh, bunk beds and nothing was cute. We had gross carpet. Anyway, so I had I think my roommate and I had like matching green uh, comforters from Target, which I think I probably thought was cute at the time, but I didn't have any other decorations. Now I am hearing. So I learned from some of you people who messaged me about this on Instagram that people actually hire designers to design and decorate their freshman dorm rooms. That is absolutely insane. I want to know the culprit. I want to know the cause of this, that how Mary Margaret is getting her parents to pay $10,000 to decorate her freshman dorm room. She's not even going to keep these decorations until next year. That is a thing that I don't get. And I just thank God that I went to college in 2010 instead of 2018 before we had Pinterest, I think, before we had Instagram, before we had Snapchat. So I didn't feel like I had to compare my dorm room to other people. Now that you've got the tapestries from Free People and Madewell, you've got like the cork boards behind the bed, you've got the sparkly lights everywhere. It's amazing. Not to mention the fact that college girls now look about 10,000 times better than we did when we were in college. We didn't figure out like baking and highlighting and all of that, but that's another segment for another day. So the thing that I don't get is how cute dorm rooms are freshman year. As you guys know, I'm a trash person. I don't decorate things. I'm not good at decorating things. I've gotten probably 50 messages from you guys about how you guys are trash people too and all the trash things that you put in your dorm room when you were in college in 2008. And I just really appreciate that. So trash people unite. If you are a freshman in college that you got your dorm room designed, more power to you. Send me a message for how you figured that out so early in life because I still have it and I'm 26. Okay, that's it for today. Love you guys. Have a great weekend.